This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for joining us today. They're going to swear in a new Congress today in Washington, and the House of Representatives will shift control from Republican to Democratic for the first time since 2009. A decade out of power has left Democrats in pretty desperate shape, and the new Congress begins work as its leaders in both houses and in both parties, in fact, battle with President Trump over government funding and a border wall with Mexico. Congressman Dan Kildee is one of the folks who will be sworn into that Congress later today, the 116th Congress here in the United States. He will be sworn in for his fourth term representing Michigan's 5th Congressional District in Flint. He joins us now to talk about what Democrats might do now that they have just a little more power in Washington. Dan Kildee, welcome to Detroit Today. Me back on. Yes, always great to hear you. Uh, let's talk first about uh, the status of the shutdown uh, from the Democratic perspective. Uh, it's going on uh, for a longer period of time than I think many people thought it would. The stalemate between Congress and the president is pretty dug in. What is your view of where we are and how we get to a place where the government is functioning fully again? Well, I think it's important for us all to step back and just remember what's up. The president has decided that since he can't get a border wall funded by Congress through the normal process, the deliberative process that our framers designed, that he's going to uh, act in a petulant way and shut down the government and essentially hold 800,000 federal workers, millions of people who depend on government services, the economy of the United States hostage in order for, get, for him to get something, which is a 7th century solution to a 21st century problem. You know, this makes no sense. We've had shutdowns in the past over big fundamental disagreements over the direction of our federal budget. This is the president acting like a spoiled child and shutting the government down because he just can't get his way on one issue. It, it is, um, it's not something that we're going to play into. You know, a lot of folks say, well, can't you just give him half the money for, a, for the border wall and call it good? You know, that's, that's not the way to operate government, the most sophisticated society on the planet, the biggest economy, the longest democracy uh, in the history of the world. This is this is ridiculous. So, so if you say that you can't give in at all to what the president wants, then I guess the question is, what is it that will break the logjam? What will shake all of this loose and get the government back operating? Well, I think if we want to have a real conversation about border security using 21st century tools, Democrats are willing to do it. In fact, we've proven this. Democrats uh, in the Senate in 2013, when we were in the majority, passed comprehensive immigration reform, which included really significant new investment uh, in border security, some of which that I, you know, I would have objected to, but it was, it was rational. It was reasonable. It used current technology, and it was balanced with improvements in internal enforcement improvements in the visa system, improvements in immigration enforcement generally, more commitment to the judicial aspects of, of, of uh, immigration enforcement, a comprehensive approach. 
we, we're on board with that. But what we're not on board with is the president not getting his way on a particular question and basically stomping his feet and, and deciding that if he doesn't get his way, that nobody gets anything, that nobody's going to have any um, uh, of their policies enacted. It's, you know, it's, you know and, and the frustration is this. Folks say, well, can't you just, like I said earlier, can't you just give him half of the money that he's asking for? Well, it doesn't make sense to give him half of the money for a solution that doesn't work. It's about the principle. I get that. But yeah. how long do you think, though, that the president can maintain this position where he is saying the same thing? I'm not going to give in until I get what I want. Uh, are we looking for members of his own party maybe to, to, to put more pressure on him to come to the table with something a, a little more agreeable? Well, they sure should because they disagree with him and they've proven their disagreement with him by being willing to support legislation that funds the government without this, uh, in this spending on the seventh century border wall. Um, but the problem is this, and this, there is not a good answer to that question because no one can trust what the president says. He is, developed a habit of, of essentially lying on a daily basis. So when he says he won't sign a bill to reopen government, if it doesn't include the border wall, we can't take that at face value. And so what I've been suggesting to my colleagues is let's just do our jobs. Let's not predicate our willingness to do the job that we were elected to do on today's statements by the president that tomorrow he might contradict. If we keep going down this path, it's going to be like a dog chasing its own tail. The Senate ought to act on legislation that they already passed. Today we will pass that exact same set of bills, and we could send it to the president's desk and judge him by his action, not by a tweet or by a statement that he makes uh, that he could contradict tomorrow. I, I'm, I'm, I'm serious about this the whole issue. We have to just do our jobs, send legislation down the other end of Pennsylvania Avenue. The president then can then make a decision on, on whether he's going to sign the bill or not. But I can't get inside that man's head. Uh, and there's no way anybody can predict what he's going to do. So we ought to just stop trying and just do our jobs. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Congressman Dan Kildee, a Democrat from Flint Township. He represents Michigan's 5th Congressional District in Congress. He is among the folks who will be sworn in today, later today, as part of the 116th Congress. Uh, Congressman Kildee will be sworn into his fourth term representing Michigan's 5th Congressional District. We are talking about the shift in power in Washington uh, in the House of Representatives from Republican to Democrat and what that will mean immediately for the shutdown, the government shutdown that's been going on since last week, but also what that will mean for legislation going forward. How will things in Washington be different now that Democrats have power of half of Congress. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. What are you paying attention to as Democrats take control of the U.S. House? Are you already thinking about 
the things that they might do that might affect the 2020 presidential election, which is now officially underway because Elizabeth Warren, another member of Congress, says she is going to run for the presidency, launched her campaign uh, over uh, the last week. Uh, Also, what is the way forward at the nation's capital? Do you want to see Republicans and Democrats work a little more spiritedly together uh, to solve our problems? Or are you looking for Democrats to really assert themselves uh, in the face of what Republicans want to do? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can hashtag us on Twitter, uh, and we will try to work you into the conversation. Uh, Congressman, I want to talk about what Democratic caucus priorities are going to look like in 2019. Uh, what is on you guys' minds? Well, I think uh, we have to lead with sort of kitchen table economic issues. Number one, it's, I think, the kind of issue that's most likely to not only unify this really diverse Democratic caucus, but also bring Republican support along. And it happens to be what the American people really want us to do. Um, Infrastructure, for example. Uh, Getting serious about the need to rebuild America. Uh, Nobody knows the need for that more than myself. You know, living in Flint, uh, growing up there, seeing what has happened in my hometown. We have to rebuild this place, and we have to start now. Americans want us to do that. So hopefully that will be early in the process. Uh, Our first piece of legislation that we're going to take up is really a bill to clean up government. Uh, H.R. 1 um, will essentially reenact uh, the renewed Voting Rights Act to protect citizens' access to the ballot. It will significantly strengthen the ethics rules regarding outside interests that some members of Congress continue to hold on to. We've seen members of Congress actually criminally charged for essentially insider trading. We're going to address that. Uh, more transparency by requiring all political organizations to disclose their donors and shut down this crazy shell game of big money donations to super PACs. So it will be a combination of bringing ethics, an ethics package to government to try to do what the president said he was going to do and literally drain the swamp, uh, but, but really lead with kitchen table economic issues, making college more affordable, rebuilding our infrastructure, bringing down the cost of prescription drugs, the kind of things that people think about when they're sitting around at their own kitchen table trying to figure out the path forward for their own family. So, so you have control of the House of Representatives. You don't, you don't have control of the Senate, and you've got a Republican president. I guess one question is, how hopeful can you be that you can get anything done with so little power, even though it's more power than you had uh, when you left in December? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's clearly, you know, one third of the process, the House, the Senate and the president uh, have to align in order to get something done. I believe the American people uh, will speak up and insist on the Senate and the president supporting an infrastructure bill, for example, uh, president actually campaigned on that subject. I've not heard a member of the Senate object to a a really aggressive infrastructure package. The details obviously matter, Mm -hmm. uh, but that's something where I think we could find some common ground. Um, There's no one who can defend the fact that the federal government is prohibited from negotiating prices 
for prescription drugs. That's got to be a piece of our uh, legislative agenda that moves fairly early. I think the Senate uh, would would have to pick up on that. And the president's already said that he wants to do something about prescription drugs. Uh, strengthening Medicare. Look, there will be a huge uh, lobby of support if and when the House can move forward. Uh, Medicare and Social Security uh, strength, you know, uh, initiatives to strengthen those programs. Those are the kind of kitchen table issues that I hear about when I'm back home and I don't think any other district is immune from that. Those problems are pervasive, and they're not partisan issues. Uh, the, there is also a, a big class of freshman lawmakers, including four from our state here in in Michigan. And some of them have shown up with a pretty aggressive and progressive message. I, I guess I wonder how that's playing inside the Democratic caucus uh, in Washington. Uh, is, is that a welcome addition to, to, to the caucus? Is that something that's going to cause internal turmoil that may get in your way? Well, I mean, that turmoil is really the democratic process. So I, I don't, I'm not one who shies away from it. I like those arguments. That's what we're sent here to do. So we have a real diverse caucus. And the nature of being in the majority means you've got a lot of seats from a lot of different kinds of places around the country. That brings with it a lot of diversity. That diversity is our strength. Uh, But our power comes from our unity. And so the question for us is, how do we assemble an agenda that aligns with what those new members believe they were sent here to do, which I think is really important, It also aligns with the work that many of us have been doing, me for six years, some for a lot longer, to find that common ground and to use the diverse points of view that we have and channel that in a positive direction. I think that's what the American people want us to to do. But I don't think we should fear or somehow cower from really spirited debate and fear disagreement. The entire nature of this place is based on disagreement. You know, it doesn't mean you have to be contentious. It's it's founded on the notion that we all come from a different place, different life experiences, and that disagreement should be worked out. Um, and then we accept the outcome and we move on to the next fight. As long as we're respectful with one another, I, I think the the arguments are going to be a positive thing. Yeah. So so one of the things that some of the freshman lawmakers were worked up about was leadership in the House. Uh, They were not uh, terribly enthusiastic about Nancy Pelosi, who used to be House Speaker, uh, becoming House Speaker again. Last time you were here on the show, you said you wanted to see a plan of succession and new leadership strategy in place before you could support Pelosi for Speaker. Uh, Talk about about where you are with that now as she prepares to be sworn in again uh, to lead the House. Well, that succession plan has now been put in place. Uh, I am now uh, Chief Deputy Whip. Hakeem Jeffries, a fresh uh, a person I came in with uh, as a freshman in 2012 with me, is the caucus chair. Sherry Bustos, another one of my classmates from 2012, is uh, the chair of the Cong- Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. My colleague from Michigan, Debbie Dingle, is one of the co-chairs of, the, of our policy and communications uh, operation. So we've taken steps to 
put in place that next generation of leadership. And Leader Pelosi, soon to be Speaker Pelosi, has indicated that she sees herself as a transitional uh, speaker. So I think we, in effect, get the strength and toughness and intellect that she brings to today's debate. And also, we'll now have lots of new members, myself included, as a part of the leadership structure. So So I think that was a step in the right direction. So are you willing to say, for instance, that this should be her last term as speaker, in other words, when the 116th Congress ends in uh, in late 2020, uh, the, that that you would be prepared to move on to somebody else? Yeah, and I'm, I'm not going to make her a lame duck uh, on the day that she's going to be elected speaker, but I think we all know that 2020 is a critical election, and you know, if and when we win uh, back the White House, I think that opens the door uh, for that leadership transition to take place. But we don't, right now I want to focus on the work in front of us. Okay, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, let's start with Vicki in Ypsilanti. Vicki, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thanks for having this sure. discussion. Uh-huh. Go ahead. Um, I have so many thoughts, I don't even almost... I don't know where to begin because the, the whole border wall is such a waste of conversation if we're not going to fix the problem. The source of the problem is multiple. We have a very capitalistic society, United States, that depends on, always has, has always exploited the labor. If anybody eats fruit, if anybody eats vegetables picked by migrant workers, there aren't Americans that do that job. If anyone stays in a hotel, you see the people who clean the, the hotels. It's probably 25 to 50% immigrants. And, and the, the health care for older people that are home care, there's construction, there's streets that we drive on. Everyone's a hypocrite if they think that we don't use cheap labor. And so the United States has always allowed, until 1958-ish, 65 The Brasilo program was bringing people legally to come work. They they do the work cheap and they go home. But now they've made it illegal for people to go home. (laughs) So now people are staying. There's no more people coming to this country than there used to be. They're just not allowed to go home now. (laughs) Uh, Vicki, I I appreciate the insight into that that issue. Uh, Dan Kildee, one of the things that I think is really frustrating about the conversation about the border wall is that it doesn't get to some of these bigger economic issues that drive immigration into the country that that uh, that I think have their own or should have their own space for debate about how we change them. Uh, is there any possibility that we can get to that kind of discussion uh, while we're fighting about this this wall that the president wants to construct? Well, I hope there is, and I think having a Democratic majority in the House creates the opportunity for us to advance a comprehensive approach to to immigration, which would include, obviously, some investment in border security, but as the caller pointed out, would also deal with some of the real struggles that we have, because a lot of uh, Americans, particularly American businesses, sort of want to have it both ways. They want to you know, be able to say they're tough on immigration and put up a wall, but depend on guest workers when it comes to agriculture or hospitality industry. That's an important part of the way our economy works. 
We have to strengthen our, our uh, internal enforcement, but we also have to strengthen the protections for those workers who come from other parts of the world so that they're not exploited. One of the problems that we have right now with our uh, immigration system is that the majority of people who are here um, and are undocumented, who don't have proper authorization to stay, came through legal means and have overstayed their visa. The economy wants to put them to work. They can't get an extension on a visa. And so they're exploited by employers who have the threat of calling ICE, hanging over the heads of these workers in order to uh, force them to accept uh, working conditions that are completely unacceptable. We have, to, we have to address that. That's what comprehensive immigration reform would address, not just putting up you know, the 21st century version of a 7th century Great Wall of China and pretend that that how somehow um, solves the problem when anybody who thoughtfully looked at this knows that it does not. The caller points out this is a, a complex set of issues. It's, it, it's fully integrated into the way the U.S. economy works. We ought to stop taking Donald Trump's, you know, the chant from his campaign rally hmm. as some sort of thoughtful interjection into American policy. It is not. Uh, again, Vicki, thanks very much for the call and the great question. Let's go to Glenn in Detroit. Glenn, welcome to Detroit today. Uh, thank you for taking my call. So we're in a negotiation phase situation here, and I think we need to do that. And I think the Democrats need to start controlling the message. And I think we can agree to the $5 billion for border security, but it needs to include uh, a resolution for this DACA situation and a path to citizenship. It needs to include this funding needs to include facilities that can be used to safely house people that are trying to get into the country uh, so that, you know, so we save $5 billion, but we talk about what it's going to do and how it's going to help the situation in terms of these immigration and security issues. Yeah, Glenn, uh, that's a really interesting approach. I'm glad you called uh, to offer that. Congressman, is that a possibility? It definitely is a possibility. The caller makes the most important point that we've been trying to drive home here. We support investments in border security. Absolutely. What we don't support is the president's cartoonish approach to this problem by simply wanting to put up some big monument to his campaign promises. If we are going to invest in border security, let's do it right. Let's listen to experts. And, you know, the amount of money that we spend on it ought to be driven by what it takes to secure the border using 21st century technology and focus on the other aspects of immigration policy. If the, if the president was an honest broker and wanted to have our leadership sit with him, we could come up easily with a comprehensive approach that deals with a path to citizenship for dreamers that invests in border security, that strengthens the ability to uh, properly deal with people who are crossing the border illegally so that we're not seeing children separated from their parents or, sadly, children die 
as we've seen twice in the last couple of weeks, we can get this right. We're the greatest country on earth. We have access to incredible technology and great, um, you know, skills. Let's do this right. Um, and so the amount of money seems to be viewed as the hang-up. It's not so much the amount that the amount is derived from no thought whatsoever other than thousands of people chanting in unison at rallies wearing red hats. That is no way to make policy in this country. Okay, Dan Kildee, congressman, uh, Democrat from Flint Township, representing Michigan's 5th Congressional District. As always, thanks very much for joining us here on Detroit Today, and uh, congratulations on your new term. Thank you, Stephen. All right, up next, uh, we're going to talk about the Corktown neighborhood and the rapid changes that are happening there. We'll talk with Free Press columnist John Carlisle about this unique unique community next. Also, remember, if you have to miss any of the conversation here, you don't have to miss out entirely. You can always go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts, download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you and listen when you are ready. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.